I can sing the Bewitched theme song. No, I can't. How about? Oh, I was gonna say, how about you do that for the intro? I forget how it goes from there. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. And back inside our crazy brains. I'm Jake. I am Paul. You were just treated to a rendition of the Bewitched theme song, if I'm not mistaken, by none other than fanboy himself, Paul Acey. You know, it's amazing how those old theme songs stick in your brain, isn't it? I haven't watched Bewitched since I was like eight years old. And it was in reruns, by the way, by that time. So it's not like I was watching it first time. I'm not that old, but still. Yeah, you're you're still slightly younger than that old. But... <laughs> You know, most I think there's there's a funny thing about our modern generations, even the younger ones, is that most of us, many of us, have had access to either a TV land or b some local over the air version of TV land. For us in the Rocky Mountain area, we've got a channel that plays these TV shows, whether it's uh, the Andy Griffith Show or Gomer Pyle or the Love Boat or The Monkeys, even. Yeah. That, yeah. They just play this stuff on repeat. So even my kids will beg me to watch The Andy Griffith Show or they, they're big fans of Gomer Pyle. Really? <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. You so there's, there's, a, there's this, uh, you know, interesting access to the past when it comes to television that I think a lot of the younger generations, though, have today, though I personally have never seen an episode of Bewitched. Really? Really? No. I was, I used to be a huge Bewitched fan, and then my parents made me turn it off because of the witchcraft, you know? Right. Yeah. So. Which is appropriate given all the witchcraft we're going to be talking about today <laughs> with Disney Pluses slash the Marvel no longer cinematic universes WandaVision. All sorts of voodoo happening. <laughs> though, interestingly enough, um, and this isn't getting into spoilers, though we will get into spoilers later, not that much witchcraft? No, no. In the early runnings of WandaVision? Not no, not much. Not much. It's uh, Bewitched was far more witchcraftery. Craftery. Craftishness. Shamalamadingdong. <laughs> so we... If if you didn't guess from our awkward digression into witchcrafterishness, we're talking about <laughs> Disney Plus's WandaVision today. I think I already said that. I've been to it. You really did. You really I'm, did. I'm sounding like my kids when they say their bedtime prayers, but they're really focused on whatever toy they're playing with. And so they just end up repeating the same sentence over and over again because then they're like halfway through the sentence – as they come to the end of the sentence, they realize, oh, I am supposed to be praying. Uh, what do I say? <laughs> okay, uh, I, I, I always go with this line. I'll say this line, and it's the exact same line they just said that they weren't paying attention to because they were playing with Legos. 
<laughs> Which leads me to my main thesis, Legos are of the devil. Oh my goodness. That's so wrong. We are just going off all the rails on this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy. We haven't even begun the episode, really. That's right. This is a little disturbing. Elsewhere, we wanted to finally, after allowing ourselves a a good healthy amount of time, Paul and I are both introspective individuals. I think that's fair to say. I think it is fair to say. One of us is more introspective than the other, but we'll we'll leave it. Let you guys decide who's the more introspective of the two of us, fanboy and know-it-all. But we we felt that we didn't want to give you our best of 2020 list in 2020, like so many people like to do. <laughs> because the year's not done. You got to wait. There could be something coming in under the, under the wire. Oh, yeah. yeah what if absolutely. Wonder Woman 1984 had been great? And we had done our list in early, in December 20, like we would have missed it. Exactly. <clears throat> So, as a result, pardon my coughing, nope, you cannot get COVID-19 through a podcast. We decided we would take our, you know what, let's be fair here. I decided we would take a little extra time to reflect on the best (laughs) pop culture pieces of 2020. Yeah, I think that that would be fair to say. I kept pushing you to do it earlier and earlier, but no. That's true. Paul, if Paul had his druthers, we'd be doing the best of 2020 in July when the pumpkin spice latte gets released by Starbucks. Oh, that's such a lie. Such a lie. But I'm a man of the people. And so I said, Paul, we're going to wait. And wait, we did. So here we are, no time like 2021, to talk about all the good of 2020. Fanboy and procrastinator is what they should call this. (laughs) I I heard a new nickname for our show this week. (laughs) I was being mocked by a listener who was mocking... I was being mocked. We were being mocked by a listener who was mocking somebody else for not having listened to our show. So it was this very surreal <laughs> moment. Very meta. <clears throat> and and his title for the show was Pop Culture with Fandango and Knows a Bit. <laughs> so we're going to go through a complete rebrand, rebrand. Wow. I actually really like that title. That's actually yeah. super cool. It's very cool. Not Not uber searchable, but very no. cool. No, we would get, and I'm pretty sure we'd get sued, but yeah, beyond yeah. that, I think it's a great title. Right. So shout out to Jess for the rebrand suggestion. Maybe one day, maybe we'll do um bizarro world version of our show. You know how Superman has bizarro world Superman. So does that mean I can be young and pompous? Do, do we switch places then? Exactly. You can be young and pompous. I and can you- be old and crotchety. <laughs> And and we can have pop culture with Fandango and knows a bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. But we're going to do a Rank Geeks of our favorite pieces of pop culture from 2020, the year that will forever be burned in everyone's mind. As the worst year ever. As the worst year ever. Well, only if your view is myopic. There's still plenty of time for other years to be the worst ever. <laughs> Without any further ado... Before we get to our ranking, our rank geeks of the best of 2020, before we get to the most least important thing, which is the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, we're going to talk about the first three episodes of Disney Plus's WandaVision.
Yakety yak. Don't talk back. Yakety yak. Don't talk back. Howdy doody, folks. That's the lowest my voice has ever gone in its entire history. I'm, you know what, Paul, this entire podcast, if it stands for nothing else, if it accomplishes no more things, it will have been a triumph just for helping you finally hit puberty. (laughs) And uh, speaking of puberty, WandaVision (laughs) has nothing to do with puberty, though early, early, you know, uh, spoiler alerts, let's go. Never. Let's go spoiler alerts right now. I warned you guys a little bit earlier, but we're, we're we're getting into spoilers for episodes one through three. We don't know where the show ends yet. I didn't. I'm not a part of Paul's super secret ultra early film club, but we've only seen the first three episodes, so we're not going to spoil the end of the show. But we'll spoil the beginning. You've only seen the first three episodes. I've seen season two. Paul's out there living his best life. His best life now, which will be your best life, dear listener, in the future. One division, one division. Man, oh man, I tell you what, it is. We had talked about this. We had mentioned it briefly on a previous podcast, I think, hadn't we? We have. Um, you were looking forward to it. I, I was, was looking forward to it. I was hesitant about it. Yeah, because you just didn't know what what the heck the thing was supposed to be about, and I, I think that maybe. In a way, even though we have some clarity on that, there's still a little bit of what the heck going on with this show. Mm-hmm. It is, it just may be one of the most unusual shows that I have ever seen in my life. And having reviewed TV for as long as I have, that's saying something. It's a, it's a strange little show. I had not seen anything about this show, any of the trailers that I ended up watching that that really gave me any clue as to why I should be bought in. And it took your description, Paul, of what it was trying to accomplish to get me there. And so, one, I think, I have to say, I think there was a little bit of a failure on Disney's part in terms of the trailers. I think they could have gotten the concept across a little bit better. But uh, my expectations were low coming in. The other reason that is, don't kill me here. I wasn't that big of a fan of Wanda or Vision from other MCU installments. I think that's fair, right? I mean, I, Vision makes his appearance in in well, both of them make their appearance in in probably the, the Age of Ultron watermark for the Avengers. You know, when yeah. they're getting together, Age of Ultron is a is a fine movie, but it's not it's not quite as fun as the original Avengers. It doesn't have the pathos of the later Avenger two movies. Um, Envision feels both of them, you know, one of the things about both of these heroes in the MCU is that their abilities feel a little bit nebulous, right? Um, Wanda is of course the Scarlet Witch from the, the, the comics, um, in the graphic novels, but her powers in, in the MCU feel like they can be pretty much whatever they want those powers to be. Yeah. Vision is this very powerful AI android but sentient thing with a uh, a super duper you know you know infinity stone in his in his forehead and yet I don't think we ever really got an idea of what he could do 
really well. We know that he can fly. We know that he's really fast. You know that he has some super cool powers. You know that he's purple. But I don't think I ever had a really clear understanding of, of what exactly he could do in the in the superhero olympics you know what events he would he would sort of go in so right. i think that that was one of the one of the issues right away with this is is it has two of the least defined superheroes within the mcu fronting what amounts to a weird television sitcom that sort of spoofs on all the great television sitcoms from the 1950s and 60s and 70s um and even down down into the 90s is is what we're hearing um these these two characters sort of fronting this alternate reality world that that takes place in in a, a, a very strange laugh tracked television landscape with all of that said it's a concept that then, once I learned about it, had me more interested, but also put off, I think, some more, potentially could put off some more fans, casual fans. Like, my wife was, eh, I don't know if that, if I'm into that. Like, weird. that sounds weird. That just sounds <laughs> like a thing weird people are into. It, it does sound weird, and it is weird. I mean, you even see, like you say, the trailers... They are very surreal. The stills that I've been using for the reviews are very surreal. You have, you know, essentially Wanda envision these two powerful MCU characters playing Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore in a way um, in, in the first episode. And it does feel incredibly unusual for... And, and and not only do you have this sort of spoofish type of type of uh, setup, but you have this underlying MCU type of vibe. Um, it, it's a very very strange hybrid. And and one of the things that that I found most interesting about this is sort of the meta character of the whole show. Right. It. It deals with backing up. You hear all the time about how television has lost any sort of creative ability to think of new ideas. They're always revisiting old ideas. They're always um, re rebooting actual shows. Um, most of the most popular shows, it seems like, are reboots of, of old ones. It's hard to find a lot of creativity in there. There are critics who would say the same of the superhero genre, that superheroes, it's, it's essentially the same story over and over again. These superheroes fight bad guys. It's just boring, and it shows that, you know, you think about Martin Scorsese, he would say that superhero movies are a sign that, that movies have completely lost all sort of creativity. So you have these superheroes coming into a television world, not only rebooting these old shows, but completely creating these elaborate homages to them, to two genres that some people would say have been entirely played out and speak to the the complete lack of creativity in Hollywood. You join them together and it makes for one of the most creative shows I have seen in the last five years. And therein for me lies the rub that leaves WandaVision at a crossroads in my mind. Mm. Because I have to say, I really enjoyed the first three episodes 
like quite a bit and found myself totally bought in to the aesthetic because I felt like the show was. They seemed very bought in to the aesthetic and the vibe, but then drawing in these little elements from the outside world, keeping you intrigued, letting you know there's more going on. And I thought they did it really well. And yet I now find myself feeling conflicted about how do they lean, continue to lean into that, but still without losing sight of the intrigue. It feels like at some point it has to morph into being more of a traditional, traditional superhero MCU film. Yeah. It doesn't feel, I, I guess I have to say, I'm still doubtful that they'll be able to be quite as slavish to the nostalgia as they've been able to be in the first couple episodes, because what we've seen in episodes one, two, and three are little is like a little bit, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. And it really feels like they have to keep building until there's very little of the concept of sending up these sitcoms left. And it's mostly a superhero show. And while I know that has to happen, I really want to see them try to do the whole sitcom thing. I want to see them. I don't think they're going to do Seinfeld, but I want to see them do Seinfeld. You know, I want to see them lean into that kind of thing. And yet it feels like that might be incompatible. And so I feel like we could be either incredibly impressed that they managed to pull this off in the end or be like, well, that had a lot of promise, but man, did it trip and fall on its face. I will be like there's much middle ground to me. Yeah, I will be very, very interested to see where it goes. I think I'm more optimistic than you are just because of the success that we've seen from these first three episodes. I mean, I truly was, I was expecting to be, I was intrigued by the show when I, when I first turned it on, I thought this is going to be interesting. I don't know whether I'm going to like it. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off. It's going to be nice to see some superheroes in, in a time when we haven't seen the MCU active for more than a year. Um, so that was kind of a nice thing. And, and being an old sitcom fan, I was, I was curious to see how they would do it. I got to tell you, Jake, I fell in love with this show. I love this show. It is very clever, very smart, very meta and super funny. I think that was the thing that surprised me is how well, um, Wanda and Vision really worked as a sitcom couple, you know, in their own special little way. I was telling my wife, you know, what would be really cool is if we could watch whole seasons of them within this Dick Van Dyke universe or within this bewitched universe, because it felt like it almost felt like these episodes that we saw at first, especially the first two episodes, they felt almost like teasers like they're really great trailers of a show that you kind of want to see as strange as that is. Right. But, so because of that, because I think that, that they were so well-crafted and because Wanda and Vision worked really freakishly well in this kind of world. And because of the history of the MCU, I got to be honest, I am cautiously optimistic that this is going to land well. And if it lands well, I think they should give this show all the Emmys. All of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah. There has not been a show that I have found... You know, a lot of the the real Emmy quality shows, they can be incredible shows. Very well written. Very gripping. Um, 
oftentimes they're really dark and they're hard for me to sit down and watch week after week. It's just the world is dark enough as it is. So I have a hard time getting into Breaking Bad, even though I really appreciate the quality of the writing and the characters and all that sort of stuff. It's just it's just a slog to get through it sometimes. WandaVision is a delight to watch. And yet it has, because of this weird alternate reality, it has this sort of meta depth to it that I really appreciate. And and it's it's fun and thoughtful both. And that's kind of a surprising thing to pull off. It made me like Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen in a way that I didn't know that I could. To be <laughs> honest, part of me not connecting that much with Wanda and Vision, apart from the fact that their powers are nebulous and that they didn't have that large of a role in the MCU films, was it's hard for me to look at Elizabeth Olsen and not just think back to the Olsen twins. I'm just going to be honest with that. <laughs> and Paul Bettany, I've never found him that likable. I think it's a, a product of maybe the films I've watched with him. He's been more of that kind of arrogant, detached character, you know, or villain rather than a likable, charismatic character. Which made and, him such a good vision, right? You know, I think that that was one of the things that made him a good vision. That sort of distance from the rest of reality or humanity. Yeah. But what they managed to do in the first three episodes is make me like both of these characters in a way that I did not expect. Yeah. And and really enjoy the show and ease into the show and laugh a lot and feel like I was watching an episode of I Love Lucy or the Mary Tyler Moore show or or uh, the Brady Bunch or whatever, you know, what have you, depending on what decade it was sending up or I Love Lucy, right? The second episode in particular, I thought really nailed it with the whole town talent show and the magic act I thought was just just about as close to pitch perfect as you can get in this type of homage. Well, really any type of send up. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, what's impressive about it is how so far it's married that some really good nostalgic homage comedy with also these moments of intrigue where the show gets is giving this real dark vibe. Not all is well in the state of Denmark. It's really fascinating how they are able to do, and it, at times in the very same punchline, they're able to do this very typical setup joke, right? And then convey the darkness that's yeah. behind it all. I, I think about the third episode. And as you say, the show is getting progressively darker. You see it starting to open up this very mysterious world. You see the one of the neighbors sawing through the concrete wall that's between um, the, the yards. You see the doctor saying, this can be a very hard town to leave. You know, he was all excited to go to Bermuda after delivering the baby, but all of a sudden he can't leave. And you have these little elements that just spark this weird darkness. I mean, it's almost like, you know, clowns are super creepy, right? This yeah. this almost feels like it has that sort of vibe to it. All the funniness hides something very, very dark underneath. <laughs> and it's done a really good job at doing so in ways that kind of put you at unease without doing anything directly that should put you at unease. I mean, even right. in the first episode where a plot point for comedy involved the boss that was over for dinner 
beginning to choke on his dinner and how it was funny until all of a sudden the way they held the joke just a little bit too long, the way the camera switched kind of perspective from classic to a little bit more modern and darker direct angles. And all of a sudden we're in a single camera type like show and you get these zoom ins and the laughter continues a little bit too long. And it, it became unsettling in a really subtle way without doing anything truly ominous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing that, that also impresses me about this show is it's able to jump in between. Like yeah. you're, you're laughing at it. Like it's a traditional sitcom. They have this really unsettling moment. And then a minute later you slip right back into the sitcom world. Yeah. It's, um, it's remarkable how well they do that. And, and the commercials are the same thing. You feel, you feel the time, you feel the um, energy, the intellectual energy that they put into these commercials to not only get them pitch perfect, but to give you a peek behind the curtain at the MCU story that's going behind um, the Strucker watch. You have these, these little nods to Hydra throughout. It's, very very cleverly done i i i'm just very impressed and as you say the the characters that we see paul bettany elizabeth olsen they they embody these characters so well in this environment i i i think they should give elizabeth olsen a sitcom now because she does pretty well in this environment and so you know we're left now with a whole lot of questions coming out of season three that, you know, depending on where you're listening to this dear friend, you may have some answers to, but I, I also like how they're able to introduce some of this ominous stuff in, or this, the stuff that you're unsure about in a way that works for both fans, comic book fans and non-comic book fans, because I'll be honest with you. I, as, as people know, if they listen to the show, I was not raised on comic books, so I don't know any of this backstory. So I had no clue what the symbol on the helicopter or the necklace. Yeah, the was. sword symbol. What, yeah. yeah, what is sword? I, I, I had no idea mm-hmm. that sword was a thing. And uh, but yet I was still, you know, you still get in. There's still enough that they give you uh, to keep you intrigued and to keep you guessing. Though I imagine those who have been in the comic book world saw those things and had a whole different level of appreciation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's, that's one of the things the MCU has done really well is I think that they've created their own stories like you. I was never raised on comics and I was, even when I was, I was more of a DC guy than a, than a Marvel guy. Uh, But I think that, that they've created these, this world within the MCU that is very accessible to people like you and me and we get involved within the world of the mcu it's a different world than you find in the comics and yet there's enough crossover where diehard fans of the comics can appreciate what's going on and i i wonder whether wandavision is sort of the next step up i i gotta be honest with you jake i think that that after endgame and i think i even shared this on a podcast i would have been happy if the mcu as we knew it had just ended there because I thought it was just really picture perfect. It was a natural endpoint. I didn't need to see these new chapters of the MCU go going forward, especially when some of the most familiar characters were not going to be a part of it anymore. 
WandaVision, it has made me rethink that assessment. Um, it, who knows what the Loki show is going to be like? We, we have no idea what the new movies are going to be like. But WandaVision, in some ways, it, it surpasses a lot of the traditional MCU in its creativity, in its ability to get you wrapped up in a storyline. And it, it, this is a show that feels a little bit to me like Lost, where it makes you, it just makes you want to tune in to the next episode to see what's going to happen, even as you're just sort of flying along with this sitcom world and laughing at the jokes. It's funny that you make that comparison because I had the same thought and as is very well documented in our history, (laughs) that was simultaneously intriguing and (laughs) horrifying to me given my lack of, uh, my lack of fandom for the way lost ended. But the way I also really ate up the first, you know, five and a half, four yeah. and a half, five and a half seasons of Lost. Yeah. Well, the fact that you didn't like how it ended, I think that's just sort of a a personal failing on your part. But sure, you've yeah. gone through that. That's right. I, I'll pay penance for it one day. But I, I definitely got those vibes and, and it made me excited and nervous all at the same time. And And I think that it certainly brings me back full circle to why I still feel uneasy about where it's going to go because I have been down this road and I've been burned before. (laughs) But speaking of prognosticating, you know, maybe this will be silly to us even by episode four of WandaVision. We don't know, but with the way episode three ends with Geraldine seems to be a, a sword agent, right? The woman, yeah, that we dis- that visits Wanda in her home as she's going into labor, and then we see her get chucked out of this barrier and be surrounded by helicopters and vehicle military vehicles of all sorts. That had me questioning where Wanda and Vision even are because I was under this assumption that they were in this fully digital world of some sort, uh, or maybe trapped in their own minds somehow in some crazy way. And yet the way we see this violent exit of Geraldine's character seemed to suggest a more physical location. And so Paul, what, where do you think Wanda and vision actually are? It's a really good question. You know, and I, I think that, that I don't think I can be as specific as saying somewhere in Arkansas, you know, but I, I do think that they are, it feels like a bubble world to me. Yeah. And what that, why that bubble world exists, that's going to be one of the more intriguing questions that, that the show really posits. Certainly, the two main theories would be some evil entity is creating this world and trapped Wanda in, and Vision, even though supposedly he's dead, within this. Or it's a creation of Wanda trying to ignore the reality that Vision is dead and she's sort of creating it, or it could be an an amalgamation of both. And it feels very amalgamized, if that's a word, right now, because clearly Wanda has a lot of control over what happens here. And yet there's something sinister under the surface too. So, yeah. Right, there's a lot of suggestions that there are other people 
that are a part of this reality playing a role, that are play acting the way they might have in the Truman Show, and but are also more controlling and possibly they've been abducted into this set because there's this new presence that they don't seem that they're not don't seem to act on but seem to be concerned by and so is it some you know some sort of augmented reality setup or virtual reality setup or it's it it definitely that that's another lostish element that has me intrigued but also cautious in my <laughs> excitement about because it's I'm like how how are you going to do this how are you going to explain how this is digital and virtual and physical all at the same time is this because there's there's stuff here that doesn't doesn't compute on any 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 time i seem to get myself like oh this is happening in some sort of digital world oh no that doesn't fit oh this is happening in augmented reality world no that doesn't fit okay this is happening on a set like in the physical world oh no that that doesn't fit well it's happening in their minds entirely no that doesn't seem to fit and so I don't know how I, I honestly haven't been able to convince myself of any of those theories yet. Yeah, it's again, and it, that shows just how how savvily they're creating this world. And the other thing, you know, you have that mystery, and you have all these different elements that go into making WandaVision. You have the MCU world, you have the the sitcom world. One of the things that that I find surprisingly sweet, actually, and makes me smile every single time I see it, are the two rings that we see at the very end of the credits. Yeah. Because you know that this is going to be a superhero story. You know that it has the sitcom reality going on. But at some level, it's also a love story. You know, it's this this story of these two people who well, one somehow... Person, sure are bonding, you know, and I, I, I don't know. It just feels, it feels, I don't know, surprisingly sweet. It, it, it does, you know, you're able to, because I think Vision spends a good amount of time not in his typical Vision form, that helps us with the buy-in. Like, I was never really buying Wanda and Vision when Vision was just a weird sentient AI creature. But now that I'm seeing Paul Bettany, as a dad to be in the seventies, okay, I buy this a little bit more. This is—it's <laughs> distracting me from the fact that this is highly implausible. Well, and, and even and that's and that ends. You know, that adds another layer to that mystery. Is that in my research in the original comic books, when Tommy and Billy become characters in whatever universes in the MCU, they in the not MCU but the comic book. Uh, comic books that they show up in, you know, uh, they are some sort of creation of Wanda's, of course. And, and, and Vision is the dad, but not in any actual, in in a, in an adoptive sense, essentially. That that adds another wrinkle to the whole "where is this happening" thing, you know, as far as Wanda's pregnancy and sort of her her very not seeming her very obvious. Uh, lack of understanding around this pregnancy also adds a new wrinkle because again, in the comics it's of her own doing. And so uh, why, how that comes to be inside this storyline is yet to be seen. And, and 
continues to add to that confusion. Are they just AI constructs? And that's you know that's what the outro seems to suggest to me. It's very digitally done, right? It seems like we're zooming in and through pixels that are telling a story and being combined to this greater relationship, you know, the rings interlocking. And so is this some sort of digital fabrication to play on wants and desires of Wanda, but to, to extract information that that's, that's kind of what I'm leaning toward is that this, there's some sort of mental slash digital manipulation happening. Hmm. Um, in order to to either extract powers or intel or something of that nature. To be continued. Exactly. <laughs> what are you thinking of WandaVision? If you're watching it on Disney Plus, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. And I'm at AC Paul. And uh WandaVision, as much as Paul waxed eloquent about it, cannot have been included on the best things of 2020 because it didn't even Exit well, Paul may have watched it in 2020, but that doesn't I, count. I did not. That doesn't count just because Paul's in a super secret club. Because <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to rank the best pop culture of 2020. Welcome inside Rank Geeks, a place where two smelly nerds haggle over their favorite things and then tell you that you must believe our definitive rankings. I am a very sweet-smelling geek, I will have you know. What uh, what sort of sweet thing do you smell like? Well, like pert and... Mountain Dew? <laughs> yeah. I like chocolate. I'm still working through the uh, the Christmas candy, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, you got to space that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't have too much of it. I, but I'm, I'm telling you, I cracked open my, my chocolate orange. You know, the, those, oh, man, those things are so good. Yeah, who knew, you know, orange and chocolate could so combine good. so well. They really yes. do. It, it is good. I didn't get one. I haven't had one in a couple of years, but I oh, remember them fondly. That seems very sad. I feel bad for you now, Jake. Well, you know, it's something that I'm discovering about old age ever since I turned 29, Paul, <laughs> a couple of years ago. I'm not 29 anymore. But ever since I turned 29, all of a sudden I would find myself a staunch eater of meat and carbohydrates, craving salads and parfaits and parfaits. <laughs> like, And not not just the sugary parfaits, but parfaits with real fruit and healthy protein rich granola you know pumpkin seed and flax and bran 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 and uh i'm even using those tiny little um black seeds that swell up into a weird gelatinous substance when they get wet and i'm you know just blacking on what you actually call them i that uh, sounds very uh disturbing actually yeah all these things sure they're about... not just sort of a a rip in the space-time continuum around your house. I, I I am not familiar with any black seeds that expand crazy. Yeah, I mean they're they're not officially. I don't know if they're even officially seeds. But it can't. It's one of those things. I think that it's another product of old age as your memory goes. Yeah. I literally was eating them this morning, and I can't tell you what they were called. But they say on the bag, they're like, "Hey, do you want a vegan alternative to eggs? Put us in water, and <laughs> and you can eat us like eggs." I'm like that. Still sounds terrible. I guess I'm not entirely old yet. Oh, yeah. No, this is this is new territory for me. Yeah. Uh, all that to say, 
I'm old, and uh, I forgot my segue. <laughs> More signs of my old age. So, uh, so Jake, do you eat kale? Do I eat kale? Uh, I I uh, do not. I have not gone that far yet. I have eaten kale. I've eaten it, but yeah. right now we're in a we're in a, like a spinach phase. Gotcha, gotcha. My wife's buying a lot of spinach. I'm eating a lot of spinach salads and can't stand spinach. Greek yogurt with granola and fruit. See, the only way I can eat any of that stuff is with a lot of ranch dressing, and then it's fine. Yeah. Oh, I, I do. I do still have to use ranch. Like I'm transitioning into my old age slowly. Right. You have to do it little bit by little bit. Can't do it all at once. You can't just be sitting there snacking on raw spinach. Yeah. Oh, I remember the segue. All this was stemming from, I don't like sweet stuff as much as I used to. <laughs> I was never a sweet tooth, but now I'm craving, I'm craving Greek yogurt with granola in it. And that's your segue. Well, that was you know you were I'm talking about to... how you were, you were talking about how you smell like your chocolate that you oh, were eating. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So I was just okay. bringing it all the way back around to you. You were saying it was sad, and yeah, I was saying so it's more of a a landing. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, like segueing back to where we even well, how I got off the path in the first place, not back to where I was going, but just back to the starting point of the path. Where is this segue going? How does this get it? See, I, I was thinking you were going to go. What is the spinach of 2020? Where would that rank on your top five list of vegetables for 2020? Sure, but you Didn't know, go there, right? Well, because even that's controversial. Because you ask. 28 year old me a couple of years ago and spinach wouldn't rank anywhere near the top five. You ask me now, same thing, but ask me five years from now, maybe, maybe spinach is up there because all of a sudden I'm craving yogurt for breakfast. <laughs> so are you saying that, that probably the top five list that we are about to do right now, uh-huh. they could change in five years where we might have different opinions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, great segue. Thank you. That's a real segue. You're a real <laughs> pro. <laughs> yes, it's all all my practice. All my practice. So with that, Paul, do you want to hear my my number five pick? Yeah, or, let's get let's go ahead and start ranking these, um, <laughs> so I can make fun of you. All right, all right. So so my number five pick would be far better than spinach or kale, but you are not going to think so. Okay. Because my number five list thing for the top best best pop culture twenty twenty culture pieces from twenty twenty, which I really had a hard time figuring out. Number five, the Parks and Recreation special. The Parks and Recreation special. COVID special. I really liked that. How can you not like anything that ends with a with a serenade of, of Bye Bye Little Sebastian? Love that song. Yeah. Love it. Very likable, a likable special, especially given the context where uh, they couldn't film it <laughs> together. <laughs> so, you know, all things considered, very well done. I didn't like it as much as you, and I'll say that much. It didn't land on my top five. And for those that would like to hear the deeper explanation, we have a, an episode dedicated to it. Yes. That, Paul, many people in the country of India have listened to <laughs> a few hundred. <laughs> So shout out to my fans on uh, from India, but <laughs> so I, I I can't you know I won't belabor my, the point of why it's not on my top five other than the fact that 
uh, it was a little bit too in the moment for me. But I think that's partially why you liked it. I liked it. I liked it because it was in the moment. It was creative. It wasn't just a slavish covid weird thing that wasn't funny it was still funny and it was still sensitive and it brought back all these characters that we we knew and love it wasn't exactly wandavision but it was pretty darn good number five on my list was you know i it's funny i hesitate to recommend this because i'm trying i'm trying to get away from the company that you would need to use in order to watch this thing but here I here goes nothing. It was it was honestly the f- movie I enjoyed watching the most that came out in 2020, and so I wanted to get a film on this list, even though most of my entries aren't films. And so uh, number five on my list is Get Duped. Get Duped. Yes, which is an independent Scottish film that was released made a couple of years ago, but released on via Amazon Prime in August of 2020 and we talked about it on this show and uh or at least I did it wasn't I, <laughs> I made sure to bring it up I you talked talk. about it I'll talk about whatever I want mostly it's important thing <laughs> and honestly it was the surprise movie of 2020 for me a diamond in the rough if you hmm. will Paul did you ever end up seeing get duped I never did I never did it was one of those movies that we actually bypassed uh, to review because it just didn't have enough traction and all that kind of stuff. But I had heard some good things about it. I don't think it would have been a hugely popular movie for the organization that I review movies for, but I had heard good things about it. Yeah. It's, it's not going to win any family friendly awards, uh, including the plugged in movie awards, but <laughs> it's a really, it's, it cut, it catches you unexpectedly in the way that it deals with classism and ageism and the the angst of our time, both for the youth of our day and the aging of our day and pits them in battle against one another to show kind of how silly it is that they're in battle with one another Um, because we're all human beings in the end. And that's putting way too fine a point on it. The movie is ridiculous. It's very ridiculous and very over the top, but in a, in a delightfully unexpected way, in spite of the fact that content caveat with Paul AC, there's language and violence and lots of drug references. <laughs> and usage. You're, you're intimately familiar with. All things that I have. Uh, no, I, I've, got, <laughs> I've got nothing for that. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just one of those classic movie reviewers that, lauds these brave storytellers for telling the tales of what kids these days are up to without ever actually knowing what kids these days are up to. <laughs> number so, four for me. Number four, Paul. You know, it's a it's something that we've talked about before on this show, and very recently actually. Um and and I give this a number four rating, not just because of what I'm about to mention, but because of the platform on which it was on. And that, of course, is Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max. What? Here's the reason. As I was trying to figure out what constitute, constituted a top pop culture piece, I was thinking about the cultural impact of some of the stuff that we're talking about, right? 
because, you know, in this weird COVID time, the entire enter entertainment industry is changing. And sometimes um, those changes can be really important. And, and I think that when you're talking about Wonder Woman 1984, which I thought was a pretty good movie, um, the fact that it landed simultaneously in theaters and at HBO Max was interesting to me. I think that it really reflects what 2020 was all about. The next point is HBO Max, honestly, was one of the biggest surprises as far as a streaming service I have come across. And that is primarily because I don't watch much HBO, actually, on HBO Max. But they have Turner Classic Movies and DC and Studio Ghibli and all this sort of stuff on all these little hubs. This is not an advertisement for HBO Max, but I have but found like myself it. watching it surprisingly more than I thought I would. See, and I'm in the boat where I also got a month's worth of, months worth of HBO Max in order to watch Wonder Woman 1984. Didn't like it as much as you did. Uh, I think I, I know you didn't love it, but I think I liked it remarkably, mar, you know, markedly less than you did, and also have not watched a single other thing on my HBO Max subscription, even though I've got it for a month. See, and that is just wrong. When you have Turner Classic Movies there, I am actually watching Battleship Potemkin right now not right now because we're talking right now but yeah. but battleship potemkin 1925 soviet picture that was one of the more influential movies ever made they have it on turner classic movie but i already seen it oh don't be so snooty i've seen the baby go down the stairs paul i have not seen you spoiled it for me oh you knew you about that scene for me you I, knew about i didn't say what happened to the baby i watched i watched stagecoach I had never seen Stagecoach before. That's a John Wayne 1940 movie, 41 movie. John Wayne is the problem with all of our, is the, he's the problem with all of our problems. He's the source of all of our problems in America. Oh hey, my goodness. What else are you watching? Oh my goodness. It just... Toxic masculinity at its finest, John Wayne. Oh, you need to see Stagecoach. <laughs> you need to see Stagecoach. It's fantastic. I know nothing about John Wayne. I've only seen one or two of his movies, but I know he's the problem. <laughs> I can intuit right. it. I'm good at these sorts of things. Oh my god. What else are you watch on HBO Max, you <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> it's really fun. I'm I, I am just surprised how much good stuff is on there. I go to Disney Plus, I look for stuff there, I go to HBO Max, I look for stuff there. That's pretty much what I do. And then I watch lots of weird documentaries on YouTube, you know. Well, I can see the headline now. Plugged in editor Paul AC. Chills for HBO Max. <laughs> Turner Classic Movies. Oh, and I'm watching I'm watching Batman the Animated Series. I have never seen Batman the Animated Series. I wrote a book on Batman. How is that possible? Uh, that's not a good advertisement for your book. But I'm not cutting it out. <laughs> Number the man four. wrote a book on Batman without watching one of its seminal one of Batman's seminal products. But I do have a little tiny Batmobile right at my desk. That is pretty sleek. Is that a is that a Hot Wheels? No, no. This is much bigger, and it moves on its own. You can't see this, listener podcast people, but it's super cool. It's the old 1966 Batman, mm -hmm. about four inches long, and it runs on its own. It's great. Number four for you. There's a Michael Scott joke right there. <laughs> you know, something like, that's what she said. 
I don't know. That's for that's for a much more explicit show. Oh my goodness. Number Paul just number set me up four. perfect. That's what she said. And I had to sit here thinking, could I should I ruin Paul's career? These are the these are the binds you put me in, Paul. Also, number that's what she said. Number four. Number four. <laughs> number four for me comes from what feels perfect for 2020 in in particularly for my list in 2020 and that uh it's hybrid media and that it was created for one platform and adapted for another and it came about as a product of the pandemic and it's very self-serving so in those three ways it's a perfect number four <laughs> for my list Number four for my list is Man Shoots Wife for 75 Straight Days of Quarantine. It's a 20, nearly a 25-minute long YouTube video that's made up of footage from 75 straight days of a man shooting at his wife with a Nerf gun, recording it in slow motion, and setting it to classic soundtracks from movies and music artists from many decades. Old stuff, new stuff, even some stand-up comedy. And then he released those day by day, every single day of the COVID-19 quarantine in Colorado and released them via Instagram and Facebook stories, then compiled them all into a YouTube video. It's glorious. It's got all your favorite songs in there that you didn't even know you loved. Slow motion, Nerf darts, surprise of one spouse to another. It, it ticks all the boxes for what people love to watch on YouTube, Paul. And uh, and Jake, who uh, who stars in this YouTube extravaganza? My wife. <laughs> My wife was was the victim of this man shooting at her every single day during quarantine. Uh, you never actually see the man, but sources tell me, and I can confirm that it was me. <laughs> man, that was the most slavish plug I have ever heard. Ever. Doesn't Ever. it just really work so well for 2020? You know? <laughs> lavish self-promotion of an Instagram story turned YouTube video that has 12 views on YouTube because it got held up in copyright, YouTube's copyright uh, purgatory. Did it really? Yeah, due to... Uh, All the song clips? Yeah, they didn't like like most of them were most of the owners of the song clips are fine if it's short enough, but some of them were longer, and most of those people are fine as long as they get all the money from the ads that run on your video. But there was a handful, in particular, uh, when I used "Get Down with the Sickness," that one held me up for a while, and I had to agree to let YouTube mute it, but it took them forever to like actually mute it in the video. It's a whole thing, guys. See that really that that's what really stole my viral fame. I yeah. think because by the time it finally cleared copyright purgatory, it was months later. I'm sure. I'm sure it would have been golden otherwise. Yeah, I would have been on the Today Show for sure. For sure. But you know what, Paul? I also I, I do feel better about the fact that it didn't go viral because, as is true of all great art, it's never recognized in its own time. <laughs> yeah. It may take a while for it to be recognized. Yeah, but one day. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I may not be alive to see it, but we'll see. <laughs> Number three for me. Number three. Some good news. And why some don't we have some of it? Good news. 
It was one of the greatest little YouTube features of all time, starring John Krasinski actually talking about good news for a change. It was uh, it was really sweet. It may still be going on, actually. No, it ended May 17th, it looks like. But it was really nice, especially during the first days of the pandemic when we were all super locked down. We couldn't do anything Sports were gone. Our work was gone. School was gone. We weren't able to see anybody. We were all stressed out. And who comes along? John Krasinski with some good news, telling us some good stories that were going on. And it was it was a really sweet, nice, surprisingly informative little deal. And also, about for much of it, I didn't watch all of it. I watched several episodes, though. The episodes I did watch, it had a very nice level of self-awareness for a Hollywood product, even though it was not a true Hollywood product, but it basically was still a Hollywood product. His daughters did the background for it. It was so sweet. So it, it ended up feeling surprisingly authentic for something that you knew was only partially authentic because ultimately it was still produced with a lot of help from Hollywood buddies and uh, not that there's anything wrong with that to quote Seinfeld Um, but it was a very nice show it was a very very nice show I'm sure they would have done much better had John Krasinski just shot Emily Blunt with Nerf arrows yeah oh yeah I mean I I certainly tried to get that on some good news I'm not gonna lie (laughs) I tagged some social media posts hoping to get that nod you know you gotta you gotta look for that bump. You gotta look for that bump. You know what I mean? But uh, he didn't do it. It was really elevated when there was a cameo from Brad Pitt that that bumped it up a few notches in my book. Of course, of course. But uh, of course, it's it it didn't make my top five, but it's it's a fine addition to yours. And at least it didn't lose out to Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, which shouldn't be on your list at all. Oh my goodness! Number three for you. Number three for me is in the world of video games. Mm, interesting. Number three for me is Spider-Man Miles Morales, which no. came out for the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 system in late 2020. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of talk about Spider-Man Miles Morales. One because Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, of course, featured Miles Morales on the big screen and became the greatest superhero movie of all time to date and which is crazy for an animated film but then also for the fact that it was releasing on the playstation 5 in addition to the playstation 4 and then also for the fact that nobody could tell is this a standalone game is it a sequel to the last spider-man game that came out on playstation is it more like add-on content and uh, nobody was really sure until it came out. There was a lot of speculation. We had to had to wait and see. Well, I have just recently finished playing through Spider-Man Miles Morales. And I have to actually tell you this, Paul. I liked it better than the first Spider-Man game, which was a really good game. and was a wow. candidate for a lot of people's Game of the Year awards back when it came out. But Spider-Man Miles Morales was actually a deeper and more emotional story than the first one. And I was just really impressed with what the good folks at insomniac games and did to put together miles morales and release it to us via 
via the PlayStation system. So number three for me was superhero related, but on a video game console, if you're a PlayStation owner, whether it's four or five, it's well worth picking it up. It's worth your time. It's worth the money. It's a fun game to play, and it's got a better story than the first Spider-Man game. Wow, wow. Maybe when I'm done with Fallout 4, I'll play it. Yeah, Paul's got to work. You know, Paul's finishing up a really timely run-through of Fallout 4. (laughs) So, hate to interrupt that. Number two for me, Soul. Soul. We just talked about it. Don't think there's any need to, to rehash it. I thought it was a delightful movie. Um, definitely thought provoking. I don't think it probably was as emotional as emotional as some of the other Pixar movies, but definitely thought provoking, definitely fun. Lots of fantastic ambition went into this thought and ambition went into this. And I thought it, it, it worked well and it was a nice treat to have during this time when we're all doing a little bit of soul searching, right? At least some of us. <laughs> I don't know if you have a soul. I mean, it's something you can search while you've got extra hours at home to occupy. Or you can just play Spider-Man and Miles Morales. And shoot your wife with darts. Or shoot your wife with Nerf darts. Or rewatch The Office for the 27th time. Yeah. Things like that. Things like that can keep you busy as well. You don't have to be soul searching. <laughs> <laughs> Number two on my list was... Uh, a little gem that dropped on ESPN Plus. Oh, I knew this was coming up. In 2020. And, uh, you know, this one has sparked controversy for me on both a personal and podcast level where I have incited fights with friends over this uh, because of this show. But it's The Last Dance, the docuseries, limited run, docu- 10 part. 10-episode docuseries that ran on ESPN and ESPN Plus eventually migrated onto Netflix where you can watch it now. You can also still watch it on ESPN Plus. But The Last Dance uh, was a documentary about Michael Jordan. We've talked about it a little bit on this show. We've talked about my feelings on Michael Jordan on this show. And the fact that The Last Dance, a documentary made by Michael Jordan, helped convince me that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. Because Michael Jordan's a system guy. Michael Jordan is a system guy. You know, it's like, it's, you know what, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's true. That's all I can say about it. <laughs> Michael needed Phil and the Pip. And also Phil and the Pip needed Michael. So it, it's, it's one of those symbiotic relationships. It's just a fact, folks. It's science. There's no, I'm not saying Michael's not the greatest system player of all time. He oh is. He's God. the greatest system player of all oh time. Oh my goodness. But, Taylor Swift, I'm going to let you finish. LeBron James (laughs) is the greatest basketball player of all time. He's done it with so many different teams, so many different systems, so many different cities, built them up from the ground, started from the bottom, now he's here. LeBron James, the GOAT, and I owe all of that, all of that keen analytical insight to what is actually a very entertaining documentary in The Last Dance. Like it – just it's a lot of fun to watch you get some vintage retro 90s hip-hop in there some 80s in there and for someone who never got to watch jordan play in real time because my own dad just didn't like basketball didn't play it didn't watch it so never saw jordan play in his prime it was a chance for me to get to see the best of the best and and come up with 
the the take of all hot takes that the world was looking for in 2020. So, you know, for that, I have to give The Last Dance number two. No, it's it's a fun docu series to watch. Uh, even for somebody like me who's not a huge NBA fan, uh, it is just a blast to go through. It's good storytelling. Yeah, you know, I uh, when I was trying to decipher what you actually meant by top culture pieces from 2020, Lax Dance actually was something that I was considering putting on, even though I haven't seen it because it was for a while everybody was talking about this documentary. It was a huge, huge deal. And it's something, it's still on my, like if we had a backlist for television documentaries, this would be on it because uh, having been around for Jordan, having been around for the Bulls dominance, it it would be really interesting to see how it came about. Um, and and I think that Michael Jordan, despite what you say, is is... Pretty gall darn good. Hey, I despite what I say, I'm saying he's pretty gall darn good, right? <laughs> I'm just saying he's not he's not the gall darn best. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, LeBron James. I know we've talked about this before on this very podcast, but he is really good. He is really good. He can yeah. do one on one. LeBron might. I think he'd probably beat Michael Jordan. Although Michael Jordan, he's such a good defensive player. You They're know? both, and that's the thing. Both LeBron and Michael are savvy defensive players. As as offensively dominant as both have been, when both were buckled down on defense, both yeah. play some really good defense. They could play some defense, and one of them still can. Number one for me. This was obviously not something that was released in 2020, but it was released to a whole bunch more people in 2020. Hamilton. Hamilton. Hamilton, Hamilton, Hamilton. That's the theme song, by the way. It's amazing how many things... Yeah, it's really not. It's amazing how many of these things that are on my list that we've actually talked about on this show. Hamilton was... um, Obviously, extraordinarily well-hyped. It's been the biggest musical, Broadway musical, for years and years and years. I had never seen it. Was sort of wondering what to expect when it landed on Disney Plus in July. I was really impressed by what I saw. I I thought it was, as you might say, pitch perfect in, in a lot of different respects. I, I enjoyed it immensely. And the thing that impressed me the most about it, actually was that there was some really good history behind it. They took it from Ron Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton, and it felt very much of a piece with that biography, with a lot of hip-hop thrown in. It was just super fun, very entertaining, pretty educational, uh, just a great ride. Really nice. Yeah, easy to let this one stand since it was released on video for the first time in 2020 even though it didn't originate as a play in 2020. 20 yeah, we have a we have a whole episode on it. It's worth going back to listen to if you want if you care more about Hamilton and also Taco Bell Quarterly. We also broke that down in that episode. But I I also enjoyed Hamilton a lot and and I thought it was a great showcase of Lin-Manuel Miranda's talents. Yep. Uh, that I, a lot of other people knew about. We're not going to pretend like right. This I have a revelation for- on that or that's a revelation to anybody. Yeah. But uh, I think it brought it to the layperson in a way that 
because I think he kind of goes behind the scenes on some of the animated stuff he's done. Or you know, Mary Poppins Returns wasn't his best work. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie on that one either. But uh, Hamilton is a, is a triumph, and uh, you know I don't use that word lightly. You do not. That is very true. I'm a stingy old guy. <laughs> Number one for me was actually probably challenges get duped for the most unexpected for me for 2020. And that is a podcast that started in summer 2020 and is called the Nate Land podcast. Paul, have you heard anything about the Nate Land podcast? The Nate Land podcast. I I do not recall hearing anything about it. Yeah, it didn't it hasn't gotten a ton of press. It's been because it's not like it's somebody who's a megastar that right. started it. But it's Nate, I'm guessing. What's that? Nate. I'm guessing it was started by good old Nate. Good old Nate. Nate Bargatze. He's a stand-up comedian. He got some He's been doing comedy for a long time, as is true with most comedians, but he's got some attention when Netflix had a little series called The Stand-Ups, where they had these little 30-minute sets from up-and-coming comedians. And even then, he had been around for a while. He had done stuff. He's been on Fallon. He's been an up-and-coming comedian for a decade now. But then he got a Netflix special with the Tennessee Kid that you can watch there. Uh, But he's a good old boy, awkward, good old boy, Tennessee kid. That's what he is. And he ums and ahs a lot. And yet he has this very funny, awkward uh, dryness to his comedy. And he decided, and as he was trying to figure out what to do with himself during a pandemic where he couldn't go do stand-up shows, to to launch a podcast with two of his friends who are very s- small-time comedians where they would just get together and literally – it it's like Seinfeld almost. And then they would literally just have a show about almost nothing. Uh, they, they will pick a topic like Bigfoot or Rhode Island or fast food. And we'll just go for an hour and a half to two hours, just vamping and being ridiculous. And it is probably one of the most perfect, relaxing, normal things that you can hear, which is a weird thing to say about three middle-aged comedians, you know, talking about nothing on a podcast. And yet it's background noise and comedy at the same time. That's interesting. I wonder if people would describe our, our podcast as relaxing. You know, I would hope so. I wouldn't describe it as funny. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm no, I'm no Nate Bargatze. (laughs) I, I, I like to think I'm funny, but I'm really not. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sure as most good comedians, they like to think that nobody thinks they're funny, but they actually really are. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just a slice of normal, a, a chance to laugh at yourself and sort of at the world to in, in 2020, where all of the world's issues seemed that much bigger when we were stuck at home and all we could focus on was the world's issues because we couldn't take care of any of our own in our own communities, it felt like. It was a slice of nothing that just felt like about the perfect antidote to a year that felt like you had to care about everything. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah, that's a good thought. I uh, that may be an interesting one to pick up. I've uh, I've been thinking about picking up another podcast, so it might be one I check out. Actually, Jake, it's worth a little listen. You know, we'll it's see. The Nate Land Podcast. It's pretty easy to find. 
It's easy to spell too. I like yeah. it. Yeah, very easy to spell. Not one of those not one of those complicated ones like <laughs> pop culture with fandango and knows a bit. Exactly. Nobody knows how to spell that. Or, <laughs> you know, pop culture with fanboy and know it all. Are you supposed to put dashes and know it all, Paul? Is that the proper AP style? Yeah, you know, I would definitely put dashes in. I think that that would be the way I would try to do it myself. That's what I do, but you know, that's I'm I'm just one man. I'm just one man. Exactly. exactly. Uh, that has it. That's uh, that's our top. That's our top uh, rank geeks for 2020. Were well, the best pieces of pop culture, as yeah. it were, recited in 2021 recited in 2021 what was your favorite piece of pop culture whether it's a movie a tv show a podcast a youtube video an instagram story series perhaps <laughs> mine perhaps wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> we would like to hear about it so that uh we can add it to our backlist hall of shame we're on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson i'm at ac paul but now it's time for the most least important thing Welcome to the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. Usually we're in a time crunch and trying to get Paul out the door to something. You know, he's a gad about town. He's hopping and bopping and hustling and shaking and yakety yakking all over town. Paul, what do you got for us today? So this is going to connect with our actual fantasy film list. Oh, yes. Um, So the AFI, the American Film Institute, just released its top 10 movies of 2020. They did not rank these. Oh, but they released it in January 2021, did they? (laughs) Well, you've got to wait for the movies to come. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So here's what we've got. They will be very familiar to those who paid attention to our to our big old fantasy film list. Jake and I each drafted five films for our for our respective lists, and we're going to you know have them compete in a whole bunch of awards derbies and stuff. So I found this interesting because a lot of familiar names jumped up here in alphabetical order: Five De Bloods, Spike Lee, De Five Bloods. The Five Bloods, yes, sorry. Five uh, Bloods. Five De Bloods. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Wait, that didn't that just come out in 21? No. no. See, the thing is with these movies, there were a lot of movies that I saw that technically came out in 2020, but no one else is going to see until 2021. Yeah. So, Judas. The weirdness of 2020. Messiah, All right. A few people have seen it. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, also on the list. Mank. Mank. Minari, my personal favorite movie of the year, Nomad Land, One Night in Miami, Soul, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Those are your top 10 AFI movies for 20. That's interesting that Soul made the list. Yeah, Soul. Soul. I I I thought it was a very nice movie. I thought it was very good, provocative. Gentle, funny. Top 10, I'd put other things ahead of it, like get duped, but hey. (laughs) Nobody asked me at the AFI. As usual, my emails have gone unreturned. Jerks. Curse them. Curse them. 
my most least important thing for this episode is uh, that I'm quitting sports. I hate all sports. <laughs> They're the worst, particularly team sports. The Green Bay yeah. Packers were were routed, cheated, beated, destroyed out of the NFL playoffs. And, it, and Paul, it just reminded me that sports are the worst, and I hate them, and so I'm officially swearing off all sports, never to be watching them again until I watch the Golden State Warriors play this week and the NFL returns in August. <laughs> so are you boycotting the Super Bowl? I, uh, uh, well, no, I'll watch that too, but <laughs> otherwise I am completely done with sports. Otherwise, any of it. Completely. I'm going to watch the Masters in April and I'm going to watch March Madness if it happens and I'm going to watch the NBA and, and the playoffs and the finals and um, I'm but I'm definitely done with ever watching sports ever again. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I won't some- watch a lick of I won't watch a lick of baseball season. Won't do it. <laughs> Might catch a quarter of hockey, even though I know it's not a quarter. I know it's a period. But that's that's just how much how little I care. I hate I hate all sports. I won't watch any of it except Every, for everything I just named. Except for all of that. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm very I'm impressed. Done. I'm sports very sports are stupid. Sports are stupid. Why do we get why do we get so tied up in this stuff, Paul? Like why why does my personal mood, my personal sense of value and well being get so influenced by the Packers losing a playoff game to the Buccaneers? Why? It really is crazy, isn't it's it? Stupid. It 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 is insane. But I have to say, I I I do not like the Packers as much as I just hate Tom Brady. Oh, that game just put me in a foul mood. I was I was grumpy as all get out too. Although I wasn't quite as grumpy as you were, I would imagine. Right. Naturally. But it's it's such a silly thing when you think about it and really does make me want to quit all the sports except for the ones I just mentioned. <laughs> that that this group of grown men or women that I have no relation to, zero personal knowledge, zero Zero connection other than the fact that I said, I like you. I'm going to cheer for you to win. And yet can throw me into – can convince people to yell at their children, to yeah. to kick to kick stuff across their house, to shout at TV screens, and to be put in a funk for the rest of the day and season. And guess what? I'm never watching sports again in my entire life. Ever, except for the things that Ever. you do. Except for, Paul, if you want to come over and watch the Masters, that's fine. Yeah. See, I, I think, Jake, that you should uh, you should become a Broncos fan. Then losing will become second nature to you, and it won't hurt nearly as much. Yeah, except you just admitted that you just watched a game with two teams well, that you have zero allegiance to, and you were put in a foul mood by oh, the outcome of the game. It's like Tom Brady. Tom Brady's got to retire someday. Maybe Tom in- Brady is like the Dallas Cowboys of of individual like if the cowboys are a team that are just great to hate in the nfl tom brady is that person why does everyone hate tom brady so much i mean uh, why do i hate him so much yeah i I don't quite understand but i do i I mean there's it's a combination of his of his success and you know some public comments of his that have been kind of sleazy and actions of his that have been kind of sleazy so it doesn't you know he's got a whole persona going i get it (laughs) i i'm there with you I'm not here to I'm not here to impute. I'm just saying that stuff he's said and done publicly that I'm saying I'm not a fan of. All right. Yeah. I, I, like, I like when he loses podcast. football games. I think we should have a whole podcast on people who we dislike in sports. But you're gonna be done with them, so that would be right. Pointless. I'm never watching sports ever again. 
right. but we can do a ESPN 30 for 30. You know, there's that one I hate Christian Leitner or whatever. Oh yeah. 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 For Tom Brady. I think that'd be perfect. I would watch that. I would keep it on replay. We'll call it the world hates Tom Brady. And so do you. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a perfect title because we'll convince everybody why they should hate Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm all for that. Uh, that's it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. You can catch up us, uh, catch up with us on Twitter and talk to me about how much you hate Tom Brady. My Twitter handle is at Jake underscore Robeson, and you should remember that because I've told you three times in this episode. <laughs> we have we have been pushing out the Twitter handles. I better actually write something on Twitter this week. That's right. Mine is at AFC Paul. And uh, hey, if you're part of our burgeoning fan base in India, we'd love to hear from you. Um, I'd love to hear from you. I, it's it's cool to now be the number one pop culture with fanboy know it all podcast in all of India. So. Um, you know, let's talk. It's a, it's a fun thing. But until we talk, until next time, I'm Jake. I am Paul. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.